Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, let's read it. Uh, you don't have to read it out loud, but you can read along as we will segue into our uh, new verse this morning. It says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, in your Bible, under verse 11, would you underline may be able or even just be able? Uh, for those of you that have a pen, you might want to reach over to your neighbor's Bible and underline be able uh, in their Bible for them. But in the Greek, it's a word that's pronounced dunamai, but basically it means to be capable of. To be capable. It literally means to be capable. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be capable to stand against the wiles of the devil. So as this word can literally mean capable, it also literally means we are incapable, incapable to stand against the wiles of the devil without being strong in the Lord and without the power of his might. Now, I think that this incapability that we don't realize that we have is very, very often seen in the lives of people that would say, you know, I tried the whole Jesus and church thing, but it just didn't work out for me. Have you ever heard somebody say that? You know, hey, do you want to come to church with me? No, man, you know, I tried that. It just wasn't my thing. Uh, Where do we get that from? Because I know that if not all of us, a good percentage of us have heard somebody say that. Maybe a, a family member or a friend. So if you've wondered where the I've tried the whole Jesus thing comes from, it is it comes from not realizing that you are unable, you are unable to fight against Satan in your own strength. So what exactly does I tried the whole Jesus and church thing mean? Well, it usually means, well, I'm going to try to be a better person, right? I, I'm going to try to clean up my life a little bit. I'm going to try to do good things. I'm going to cut back on my foul language. I'm going to cut back on my drug and alcohol consumption. Uh, but from the onset, they fail to realize that they're incapable of complete and long-term change. See, being in the place of self-reliance to overcome lifestyle choices dictated by evil, spiritual power is what you need. Spiritual power is what you need. But Satan would love for you to be self-reliant. Stay in the place where you're just going to conquer it in and of yourself. You're going to put your mind to it, and you're going to try, and you're going to go forward. Satan would love to keep us there because that is a place of us being in our strength and in the power of our might. Because for those of us that have tried the whole church thing and have been frustrated with it, you know what ends up happening? Hello, frustration. Man, it's so hard to do what's right. I just can't do it. I'm trying my best. And then after frustration, it's hello, condemnation. I'm just not good enough. I, 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 you know, this must be for other people. You know, it's good for them, but, you know, it's just not working out for me. And then thirdly, after you say hello to frustration, because you just can't cut it, and then you say hello to condemnation, because you just feel beat down because you're making the same mistakes over and over again, you say hello to failure. I quit. I tried the whole church and Jesus thing, and it didn't work out for me. 
You need, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. It is something that is beyond our might and is beyond our strength. Because if we don't have it, we'll be living in the futility of our mind, according to Ephesians 4. Having our understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of ignorance and blindness of heart. We will go past feeling, we'll be given over to lewdness, and perform all that is sinful with greed. That is the progression. You try to be a better person, and you try to be moral, and we try to, man, I want to do my best to be pleasing to God without the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the worst place to be. Because you will get frustrated. You will. You will be condemned. Because Satan will be rubbing it in. Man, look how, look how messed up you are. Look at all these things that you keep doing over and over again. And then failure. I quit. I'm leaving the church. I'm not reading my Bible. I tried to do these kind of things. I tried to clean my life up, and it didn't work out for me. Maybe you're here this morning, and you don't understand the Bible. You're reading it, and you just don't get it. You need the Holy Spirit. The greatest intellectuality will only bring you so far. You need forgiveness of sins. You need newness of life. The Lord tells us in in His Word that, that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Maybe you're like, oh, I just don't understand, but you're trying to come at it intellectually only, and you need the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a, a depth that we don't have in the physical level. This goes beyond that. So I'm hoping as we're looking at the study of God's armor, the armor of God, and we look at being victorious over sin, that all of us unanimously will agree that it is beyond our capability to be victorious over sin, to stand against uh, the devil in our own strength. Incapable. Incapable. Right now, maybe you're battling in sin. Maybe you've been going to church and you're trying to do the right thing and maybe you've walked away from God. Maybe at one time you were walking closely with the Lord, but you've just gone off. Maybe you're here this morning and and you know what? You've been coming and you've been visiting, but you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never uh, dedicated your life to Him. Today's the day that you need to do that. Today's the day that you'll have that opportunity. I would even say right now, this very moment, that if you're not following Jesus with your whole heart and you haven't given your life to Him, give your life to Jesus now. Give it to Him. Say, Lord, I need your strength. Lord, I need your forgiveness. I don't want to be one of the people that says, I tried the whole thing walking with God, but in essence, I never gave my life. I never committed my heart to Him. See, this isn't behavior modification, going to church and trying to be a a, a better person or to be more moral. Isn't like I clean up the outside and that somehow makes its way inside. No, when you come to Jesus, He changes who you are. Your very sinful nature is changed on the inside. And so the way you start communicating, the way you start living, and the way you start understanding and hearing from the Lord all changes. This isn't doing church. This isn't trying to be a better person. This is something where the Lord changes the very nature, who we are, from being dead in sins to alive in Christ. We might do something a little bit different, but... That's okay. I'm the pastor. I can do that every now and again. Would you please join with me as we pray? Father, I come before you, Lord, and I ask right now, Lord, after even reading these things and saying these things, Lord, I really truly believe that there are people here this morning, Lord, that are battling with sin in a major way. 
Lord, I know that there are some here today, Father, that have walked away from you, Lord, and they need to come back to you. Lord, there are some that have played the church thing and just like this is part of my routine, but they've never had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray right now by the power of your Spirit for those who have walked away from you, Lord, that they would recommit their life to you. Lord, I pray for those that have never put their faith in you, that right now, Lord, that they would understand their need for a Savior and that sin leads to death and you have come to give them life and that they wouldn't spend any more of their life, Lord, living after the the things of this world and things that just left them empty and looking for something more. That's the reality of it. And so, Lord, I pray right now, Father, that your Spirit would touch the lives of your sons and daughters. And with every eye closed and head bowed, Very simply, I'm going to ask you, and if you're watching online right now too, that if at one point in your life you were walking with the Lord and you have found yourself overrun by sin, living a life that is not pleasing to God, and you need to recommit your life to Jesus this morning, would you raise your hand right now so I can lead you in a prayer of rededicating your life to Christ? Whoever you may be, keep your eyes closed and your head bowed and just raise up your hand and say, I need to give my life back to Christ. I need to recommit my life to Him. And then also, if you've never put your faith in Jesus this morning, and you know that you need forgiveness of sin, would you raise your hand so I can lead you in a prayer of dedicating your life to Jesus? Just raise your hand up right now. Nobody's looking around. Just raise your hand. And I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer at this point. And just say, Dear Jesus, I know that I have sin, but I ask that you would forgive me of my sin and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died for me. And I thank you that you have forgiven me of all of my sin. Would you fill me with your love and your joy and your peace and give me your strength and your power to be the person that you created me to be. For I give you my life today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 For those of you that prayed that prayer, I know that's kind of maybe unorthodox to do in the middle of a service, but I felt like we needed to do that. And so for those of you that recommitted your life to Christ, and for those of you that were like, I want to give my life to Jesus today, and you prayed that prayer in your heart, know that God has heard that prayer, and that He has forgiven you, and that today, right now, you'll start the beginning of the rest of your life as a new creation in Christ, having the old things passed away, been made new today. So who you were when you came in these doors today is not who you are when you leave today. And that is a good thing. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And after service this morning, we'll have men and women available for prayer in the far right corner of our auditorium. They'd love to pray with you. If you need a Bible, we'll get you a Bible. But we want to, as a church, be capable of standing and fighting against the enemy. And to be able to be victorious. To be capable... It says in verse 12, Ephesians 6, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. In verse 13, we see that phrase again, be able, which means be capable. The sentence structure of verse 13 would allow us to read verse 13 as such. Take up the whole armor of God 
to stand. Take up the whole armor of God so that you might be capable of standing. So, stand therefore, verse 14, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, knowing the truth, Understand that you're righteous in the sight of God, not because of what you need to do, but because of what Jesus has already done, forgiven, set free, cleansed. I know the truth, and I know that I am covered by the righteousness of God. In verse 15, it says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Know the gospel. Know it. Not only how it pertains to you, but how it pertains to the world around you. In Romans 1.16, Paul wrote and said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So we're equipped and we're ready for game day with knowing the gospel, with knowing how it applies to our lives and knowing how to share it with others. In verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able, (laughs) that you'll be capable of quenching all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Man, when you hold on to the shield of faith, you're holding on to the promises of God. That's what it means. So many times we doubt the promises of God. We doubt what God says. And you know what? Satan loves to work in that area of doubt. He caused Eve to doubt what God said in the Garden of Eden. What was the famous line that Satan came and said as that serpent? Did God really say that? Did God really say that if you eat of the fruit, you will surely die? You won't die. He always is working against the promises of God because the promises of God, he knows, Satan knows, don't fail. And if we hold on to those promises of God, we will not be let down. But if Satan can get us to doubt... Those fiery darts of the wicked one to consume our thought processes. He will have the victory. See, we need to hold on to the facts of God's word, not our feelings. And when we hold the shield of faith, we quench the fire before it has a chance to burn and to consume. And now our new verse for this morning, Ephesians six seventeen. And take the helmet of salvation. If you're taking notes, we have two sections this morning. The helmet of salvation is section number one. And I've subtitled this, Identify Who You Are. The helmet of salvation. Identify who you are. And I like to quote H. Russell Robbins uh, in his book, The Armor of Imperial Rome, classified into broad divisions the various forms of helmets that were found. He classified four main types of helmets for heavy infantry and 30 different types of cheek guards, end of quote. Historian that, that, that reviewed and chronicled and, and wrote an amazing book on Imperial Rome and their armor classified all these different types of helmets that you could wear, different types of faceplates that would protect your, you know, your cheeks and your eyes and your brain, your skull, so on and so forth. Now, There are a lot of different helmets that you can be wearing. You could be wearing a ton of different helmets. The important point is to be wearing the right one. To be wearing the right helmet. As a helmet physically protects your skull and your brain, the helmet of salvation spiritually protects your mind. It protects your mind. The things that we think upon identify who we are in the spiritual realm, even as the things that we do. 
Even as the things that we do identify who we are in the physical realm. Let me say that again. The things that we think upon identify who we are in the spiritual realm, even as the things that we do here in the physical identify who we are in this physical realm. For example, you could come in even on church days, and you could see somebody come walking in, and, uh, you know, you're like, hi, how are you? It is so good to see you. And look at your, you know, you're bubbly, and you're excited, and you're happy, and this is the outside, but then inside you're like, Oh, how I hate you. You know, like that kind of thing. And, and thoughts, internal, the heart, the things that nobody sees because we can facade it out, so to speak. We can put on a front. I mean, some of uh, maybe the ladies could be all prim and proper and polite at church and maybe thinking lustful thoughts about a guy. You know, hey, nice to meet you. And then really inside, it's more like, mm-mm-mm. You know, or whatever it might be, you know, and same thing, guys and gals, vice versa. We can be good at hiding what's inside, but our thoughts are the controlling factor of how we act. So the things that we think identify who we are in the spiritual realm, even as the things that we do identify who we are in the physical realm. Because God's not concerned necessarily primarily with external He's concerned with the heart. He's concerned with the mind because out of the mouth proceeds the issues of our hearts. The things that we think upon are the things that we like to act upon. And even Jesus would go on to say in the Gospel of John, talking about adultery and talking about sin, that if you think that sinful thought, it it is the same as committing that sin. So our thoughts in the spiritual realm identify us. And so when Paul is saying, wear the helmet of salvation, this is very, very important for us to understand. See, we can be fixated on the things of this life, forgetting that God took us from being dead in sins and made us alive. We could be living the way the world lives, but calling ourselves Christians. You know, I'm born in America. I went to Sunday school. I go to church. But I'm Christian, but I live the way everybody else lives. I can be under the influence of of evil and I'm disobeying God's commands. I'm controlled by the lusts of the flesh. I'm fulfilling every sinful desire of the flesh and of the mind, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where I'm consumed with these thoughts. Now, aren't there some major battles that go on in our mind? Would you agree with me on that? Like, do you agree that, there, uh, that our mind is a major battlefield? That the thoughts that we have and, and sometimes even the emotions that are running at times and, and the things that we can just completely get skewed on, the, the mind is a major battlefield. In Romans chapter 8, verse 6, Paul writes to the church in Rome and he says, For to be carnally or to be worldly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is peace and life. Basically saying to have your mind filled with evil things, debased things, fleshly things, lustful things, this equals death. To have the Holy Spirit covering your mind, that equals life and peace. In verse 7 of Romans 8, he says, because the worldly mind, and he uses the word carnal, which means worldly or controlled by your natural appetites, your carnal mind, listen to this. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Can be. 
There's that word again, dunamai, in the Greek, capable. So basically, the carnal mind is the mind not controlled and covered by the Holy Spirit. Enmity. I mean, you can look it up on dictionary.com, reference.dictionary.com, or whatever it may be. They give you a definition that says that enmity is the feeling or condition of hostility, hatred, ill will, animosity, and antagonism against God. Because the carnal mind is hostile against God? Because the worldly mind is hateful towards God? The, the, the carnal mind is filled with animosity against God. So you can see how important our thoughts are in relation to us being victorious over sin and being in a place where we're reaping the benefits of life and peace, not death. The worldly mind is not capable of subjecting itself to the law of God is exactly what it says in Romans 8. That same word, capable. Dunamai in the Greek. The worldly mind is not capable of subjecting itself to the law of God. So in light of that, how are we supposed to stand against the wiles of the devil when we're not wearing the helmet of salvation? We cannot stand against an enemy that we're standing with. You cannot stand against an enemy that you're standing with. And so if my mind is not filled with the things that are pleasing to God, then I am identifying myself in the spiritual realm as somebody who is not covered with the helmet of salvation. I am not focused on the things of the Lord. I am focused on the things of the flesh. And by nature... Those thoughts and the mind that is consumed with the things of the flesh are not able, are not capable of being under the control of God. So I am not going to be led by the Spirit when my mind is consumed with things of the flesh. We cannot stand against an enemy we are standing with. And Paul would even go on to say, as we read Romans 8, verses 6, 7, and then he would read, uh, write in verse 8, So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those that are in the flesh. And you might think, well, you know, what's the flesh? Well, again, that's your sinful nature. That's your natural bodily appetites. These are the things that dictate what we do as men or women not filled with the Holy Spirit. We do whatever makes us feel good, whatever we feel like doing, or, or so on and so forth. We could be a man controlled by lust, and that's the helmet that you wear. You could be a woman who's uh, controlled maybe by gossip or jealousy. That's the helmet that you wear, and you're identified by that in the spiritual realm. See, we're more than physical beings. We're spiritual beings temporarily passing through this physical life. Crazy verse in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. We normally go through the New King James on Sunday mornings, but I really like the rendering of this translation. In Genesis 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything that they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. This is mankind without Jesus. I mean, you might think, well, good deeds, I'm doing good things. I'm doing good things, but with the wrong motivation. That's the heart. It's not the outside, remember? It's the inside. My motivation, my, my intention. I could be doing all these great things, but in my heart I'm resenting it, and I don't want to do it, and I'm just not into it. 
I mean, we know people like that and, you know, relationships or on, you know, work projects where you can just tell, man, that guy, he's going through the motions or she's just, she's just not into it. I can totally tell. I mean, she's getting her work done. Everything looks good. But you know that they're just not into it. This is the same thing for us in the spiritual realm. We need to be concerned with what's happening inside. How crazy is it that the Lord, just six chapters into the history of mankind, sees the extent of the wickedness on the earth and that every single person, everything that they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. And this is exactly who we are without Jesus. All of us, myself included. Thoughts that pop into your mind about your past. Thoughts that are those fiery darts of the wicked one meant to consume you. So you're thinking about these things constantly. And you're maybe even seeing it in your mind. And you're imagining it. And maybe even fantasizing about it. Or planning and scheming how you can get away with it. Or rationalizing it. Like, oh, it's not that bad. Or, you know, maybe just, just one time or whatever. And you can see how here leads to actions. Here. Wear the helmet of salvation. In Romans 13, verses 11 through 14, it says this, This is all the more urgent for you, now, uh, for you. Know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Do not participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and do not let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. How amazing is that? Remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. I mean, I look at you guys here today, and it would appear that you've all showered. And luckily for the people next to you up here, I kind of have a good distance. It would appear that you all, you know, got dressed and came, came to church. That's great. We don't like living in dirty clothes, smelly clothes. Oh, man, should have put more deodorant on. You know, like that kind of thing. You know, quick, where's the cologne? You know, like that kind of thing, and, and you just come in like a poof, you know, wherever you go, you know. Uh, like that will only mask it for so long. He says, remove your dirty deeds like dirty clothes. Take it off. Take those things off. I like what he says here. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence. This is Romans 13, verse 14. I know you guys are listening along, but it says, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think being reminded as a Christian that Jesus is with you wherever you go is a great thing to be aware of. It's a great thing to be aware of, isn't it? Sometimes we think that Jesus is like, you know, our little brother where we can be like, hey, you go over there and we go over here. You don't get to leave little buddy at home. Jesus said, fear not, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. So even when you're indulging in the acts of sin and in the flesh, Jesus is there with you. He sees it and he's aware of it. Being reminded of his presence, like what would I be doing right now if Jesus came back and stood right next to me? 
Sometimes we think, well, if there was an actual physical person right there, I would sort of get it. But listen, remember, we're more than physical beings. We're spiritual beings. And so Jesus is there. Should I click on this knowing Jesus is there? Like, hello, I'm right here. When we, when we complain to God, Lord, just, I have tried this whole thing and I put my faith in God and now look what's happened. And it was almost like somebody you were talking bad about was right there in the room with you and, you're, and they respond, hey, I, I'm right here. I can hear all of that. Clothe yourself with the presence of Jesus and don't even let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. You put on the helmet of salvation. I am clothed, I am forgiven, I am under the blood of Jesus Christ, which means I am under the control of Jesus, not my flesh. I know who I am. And so if the thoughts that I'm thinking are exhibiting to the spiritual world, identifying who I am, then I better be identifying with Jesus. I better be wearing the right helmet. I better be armoring up with the right armor. I mean, could you imagine two opposing foes and you put on your, your team's enemy's armor and people are attacking you and you're identified with the, the, the enemy? You don't want to be in that place. Identify with Jesus. Put on the helmet of salvation. In verse 17, it says, not only take up the helmet of salvation, but our second section this morning, take the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. I love this part, by the way. I just have to say. In Ephesians 6, 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul employs the term wrestle, which you remember was a submission fight. You know, whoever could get their foot on the other person's neck, and they would win. So, he uses the terminology wrestle, but we get armor and a sword. How sweet is that? Can you just picture a wrestling match? You know, and, and, there, and then here's you, and then here's, here's Satan. You know, he's got his red unitard on over here, and we get God's armor. We get God's armor, the belt of truth. We know the truth. We get the breastplate of righteousness. We're covered in the righteousness of Jesus. We have the shield of faith. Man, I hold on to the promises of God so that any kind of curveball lies, I know that God is faithful still. I'm prepared. I have shod my feet with the preparation of gospel, the gospel of peace. I have my shin guards, my metal armored shin guards and boots laced up because I know the gospel. I know how it applies to me, and I know how to give it out to others. And then I have my helmet, the thing that identifies me with Christ, being covered in the blood of Jesus, being saved, being washed, being purified, as Paul wrote in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is something that happens in the spiritual realm with our thoughts. And finally, the sword of the Spirit. Man, we get the sword, man. I like weapons. We get weapons. I like that. Well, what is the sword? The Bible tells us that the sword is the word of God. The sword is the word of God. And take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the definition of this word sword, uh, makarah, if I could do more of a sound, I would have pronounced it correctly. But makarah, for those of us that are... um, English speaking in America, and it actually means a, 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 a large knife that was used to cut up flesh. And I loved 
how the, it defined it as such in dealing with what we're dealing with, the spirit versus the flesh. The spirit versus the flesh, and now we have something that is used to cut away flesh. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says the word of God is living and powerful. So this sword of the spirit is living, and it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Man, I love this. See, the sword of the Spirit is seen in action when the Word of God is read, when the Word of God is spoken, when the Word of God is taught or used. The Word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. What does it mean? What does that mean? Well, you can speak forth the Word of God to somebody, and it will pierce people's hearts. It will get down to the inner parts of who they are. But the same sword that will cut that way and be used to minister to somebody else is the same sword of God that will cut personally too. That same double edge will cut away the flesh. It will cut away you know, the things that are not of God. It will be used to minister to people. And, and, and as it's spoken, as it's taught, it will pierce through. But it also cuts us too. Because we can wield that sword and be fighting against our enemies like, ah, you know, or whatever. But that same sword, that same word of God will pierce us. What's really cool about uh, this uh, word in Hebrews 4.12 where I said that it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word there, kritikos in Greek, actually means judging or fit or skilled for judging. So the word of God is living, it's powerful, it's sharp and piercing and is, according to what we see defined here, is fit and skilled for judging the thoughts and intents of the heart. Isn't that a cool thing that the word of God is fit and skilled for judging the intents and thoughts of the heart? The word of God, the word of God. It's skilled for showing us whether or not we're doing what is right. The Word of God judges between what is right and what is wrong, what is of God and what is not. That's what we get to employ. That's what we get to use. That's what, that's what we're armed up with, this Word of God. Don't judge me, brother. Well, listen, man, that's not me judging. This is what the Word of God says. And I can't tell you how many people have said, I don't like you Christians because you say you're the only way to get to heaven. Man, I, I mean, I hate to break it to you, but I didn't come up with John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. Christians didn't make that up. The church didn't, you know, speak that into existence. Well, you know, why do I have to be a born again? I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born agains. You know, like, okay, well, what, what exactly does that? Yeah, didn't the church come up with that saying, be born again? Yeah, I mean, is that like some kind of weird cult in Christianity? The born agains, right? No, actually, Jesus said in John chapter 3, he told Nicodemus, man, you've got to be born again. He said, you must be made, you must be, be born again. And you remember Nicodemus cried. It was like, man, can a man when he's old enter into his mother's womb a second time? It's like, no, I'm not talking about physically being born again. Spiritually, being alive. Being made alive. Going from dead in sin to alive in Christ. And I think it's such an amazing thing that when we look at the Word of God and we use this as a sword, we can 
use it to rightly divide what is wrong and what is right, what is of God and what is not of God. The word of God being a discerner means that it's completely capable of showing you what you need to do. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at an example as we close uh, this morning. Matthew chapter 4 is the story of the temptation of Jesus. And we're going to see a few things that Jesus did in order to be victorious and to utilize correctly the sword of the Spirit. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. So if you're turning there, I'm wondering where that, that is. Uh, it's the first book in the New Testament. It says in verse 1, Matthew chapter 4, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now, 40 days and 40 nights is a long, long time to go without food. Some of us have a hard time going 40 minutes without, you know, before we're like, I'm starving. You know, that's the way I've been my whole life. You know, it's like every, every time I eat breakfast, I'm thinking, well, what do I have for lunch? You know, when I eat lunch, I'm like, hey, what are we going to have for dinner? And it's, since I was a kid, I was like that. But it says he was fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And this means to go completely without food. Okay, this isn't referring to the type of fasting that sometimes you hear uh, in the church. Like, you know, I've decided to fast playing PlayStation 4. You know, I've decided to go on a fast of uh, playing Xbox 360 or whatever, or Xbox One or whatever the, the new one is. And, and I, I, I've decided, you know, like, uh, I've decided that I'm going to fast cheeseburgers and seek the Lord. Like, hey, man, you may just not need to ever eat cheeseburgers again. You might be well off of that. Uh, you, you may never need to go back. Maybe you shouldn't go back to playing those games because it takes up too much of your time. But fasting... Without food, going without food means you can't go forever without eating or otherwise you do what they call die. And you need to eat. So you can go without playing games or go out, you know, whatever, but you can't go without food forever. Uh, you know, it, 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 it isn't even like the, the, the spiritually inclined child who doesn't like vegetables and he tells his parents, you know, Mom, Dad, I've decided to, to fast from vegetables and really pursue my relationship with God. You know, that's not what he's talking about here. Uh, this is Jesus went 40 days and 40 nights without eating anything. And this is strategically where Satan comes. Uh, going without food can cause a whole bunch of things to happen to us. Uh, you know, irritability, uh, health issues, a ton of things that cause you to be just not in a good frame of mind. So Satan comes at that point. At verse 3 in, in Matthew 4 says, When the tempter came to him, he said, and this is Satan coming to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. So Satan tempts Jesus to give in to the desires of his physical appetites. Same as for you and me. Give in to the desires of your flesh, your physical appetites. You know, he was telling Jesus, use your own divine powers to gratify your flesh. And in essence, obey what Satan is telling him to do. We need to understand this morning that Satan never tells us anything to do that is for our own good. Okay? Never. For us who have given into temptation, which is every single one of us, but then have decided to resist it, we've found it to be extremely difficult, haven't we? Man, I don't want to do those things anymore, man. I don't want to make those mistakes anymore. I want to be changed. I want to be different. I, I, I'm going to resist because there's that one thing that just keeps knocking on my door. I don't want to do it anymore. That's when things get serious. I don't want to be ruled by sin. I don't want Satan in control of my life. I want to change. And when we decide to go against the lust of the flesh, that's when our flesh cries out. 
with everything inside of it, you know, to be gratified. Feed me! Ah! You know, like that kind of thing. You know, it's like your flesh, the worst part of who you are. I don't know what your flesh sounds like. That's what mine sounds like. But it's like, ah, you know, like I starved it for a little bit and it's going away. But then it's like, I'm dying over here. Just give me something to keep me alive. Sin in our life. Just feed it a little breadcrumb. Keep it alive, you know, maybe for the weekend or, you know, maybe if you have a bad day or one last time or more, one more time or whatever it might be. Satan tempted Jesus, gratify the lust of your flesh. But in verse 4, he answered and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he countered the lust of the flesh with the word of God. Secondly, in verse 5, we see Satan coming with the pride of life tactic, if you will. And the devil took Jesus up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now, pride of life. You're gonna, the, 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 the pinnacle of the temple was at least 200 feet off the ground. You could see it from everywhere. And he was appealing to Jesus' pride. Now, isn't it amazing? This is more of a rhetorical statement, but isn't it amazing uh, when everybody loves you? When just everyone thinks you're so cool, so popular, just everyone thinks you're so ridiculously good-looking. I mean, all they do is they Google good-looking, and your picture's the first one that pops up. And you're just, you got the fame, you have the paparazzi, you have everything that you want, and everything that you need, and everyone knows your amazing qualities publicly. See, Satan was appealing to Jesus' pride. Hey, man, if you jump off, everyone's going to see it. Your angels, the angels will, you know, as the Bible says, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll hold you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Everyone will know who you are if you do this amazing feat. Man, what a, what a show that would be. Watching you jump off and the angels, you know, saving you from plummeting. And, you know, Satan's actually even quoting the scriptures. Do you know that? He was quoting out of context Psalm 91. Satan knows the Bible. That might be a new... New, uh, and revelation for some of us this morning. He quotes the Bible to Jesus. He memorized the Bible. He's been around for thousands and thousands of years, and he's a supernatural being. But in spite of this temptation, Jesus said in verse 7, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Thirdly, after we see the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, we see the lust of the eyes again. Verse 8, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Somehow, supernaturally, I don't know how this took place uh, exactly, but Satan showed Jesus, hey, all the world's under my control. When they sinned and sin entered in the world in the garden, it became my domain. I'll give you control of all of these things if you just bow down and worship me. Doesn't it look amazing? Look at all these kingdoms and their majesty. Look at all the power that you could have. Look at all these things and look at that and look at this. And have you got the key? <laughs> what you see that you don't have. I remember hearing a man say, man, when I first saw her, I knew there was a God. And after I met her, I knew there was Satan. 
I know that this is true because it was my friend who said that. I remember hearing story after story of things that people see and they desire. I want this. I have to have this. I am visualizing this. I am seeing this. I want the money. I want the fame. I want the position. I want the power. I want the recognition. Man, I want the paparazzi. I want the red carpet. I want the articles in the magazines and Vogue and GQ and Vibe or whatever it might be. This is what I want. I see it. I desire it. Pride of life. And Jesus said to him in verse 10, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to Jesus. In these 10 verses, there are three things initially that I want to point out. There were three temptations. The lust of the flesh. Use your power to gratify your flesh. There was the... The, the pride of life. Hey, do this and it will bring you recognition and people will think you're amazing and you'll be built up. And it was the lust of the eyes. Things that I see and that I have to have. But then the following three things I'm going to point out are three times that Jesus countered those three main categorical tactics of Satan that he uses still today. He quoted the Bible to fight off Satan himself. And I know immediately right now, right in the middle of this, if, you, uh, if you're absolutely normal at all, you'd be thinking, yeah, oh, wow, well, that's great that Jesus, almighty son of God, can resist Satan. I'm not Jesus. I'm just a normal person. I mean, that might be great for Jesus to resist temptation because he has all this power, but what about me? I'm just a normal, everyday guy. Well, let me tell you this. Jesus could have blasted Satan into another dimension. But Jesus, being a man, did not use his supernatural powers, which, by the way, we obviously don't possess, but used the power of the word of God. He used the power of the word of God. So we as human beings can effectively resist temptation, be victorious over sin, even as Jesus did by countering those attacks of Satan and those temptations with the scriptures. The sword of the Spirit. Because if you don't know the truth, you will naturally believe the lie. And that's what happens in our mind, isn't it? I start believing these things, and I start thinking these things, and next thing you know, I am not hedged in by the Word of God showing me. Remember, the Word of God is very skilled and fit for judging between what is of God and what is not of God. Then I have these things going on in my mind that I am completely contrary to God, that I am thinking things that are flesh, uh, the, uh, in the flesh and the, that are uh, against God. And we know that the carnal mind is not capable of being subject to the will or law of God. And then to be worldly-minded is to be at enmity or to be against God. So when we're thinking thoughts that are evil or that are of the flesh or that are self-gratifying or deal with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, we are in a position spiritually that we don't want to be and we will fall. That's why it's absolutely imperative for us to put on the helmet of salvation. It is absolutely necessary for us to hold the spirit, the sword of the spirit, which divides things the way that they should and cuts away the flesh, removes it from us. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Jesus used it 
we must use it as well. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, reading from the English Standard Version, it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Study to show yourself approved. You know the word of God so that you can rightly handle that sword. It's like, man, this is your training. You know the word of God. You're able to do these kind of things. Strike to the head. Strike to the shoulder. Strike to the leg. I mean, they do that in Jedi training with my son at, at Disneyland. I just figure, you know, some kind of training, you know, this is what will happen. We'll know how to rightly handle the word of truth. And then this year, for all of us, things change. Things change. Because I'm girded with the belt of truth. I know the truth. The truth sets me free from sin. I know the truth. I can recognize lies. I'm not covered with the breastplate of self-righteousness. I'm a good person or I'm better than they are. I'm covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Furthermore, when Satan's attacking me, I raise up my shield of faith. I hold on to the promises that God has made me. I know that he is there for me and he will not let me down. I've covered my feet. I have those metal shin guards and those boots that get me traction that I can stand on uneven surfaces. And when things are shaking and sliding all around, I can stand firm because I know the gospel. I know the truth and how it pertains to me. And I know how to bring that truth to others. And then finally today we saw, man, put on the helmet of salvation. It identifies who you are in the spiritual realm. Are you covered with the blood of Jesus? Are you covered through forgiveness of sins, through salvation, in, and found only in Jesus. And then lastly, he says, take hold of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hold on to it. Rightly use it. And you'll be okay. And this year will be the best year yet that you've had in your relationship with the Lord, where you gain traction instead of falling back. Where you go forward instead of dropping out. Where you're not, oh man, I tried the whole Jesus thing and it just didn't work out for me. No, you gave your life completely over to Jesus and then armored up. And we're ready for the battle. Don't go one day without putting that armor on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this last month. We thank you, Lord, for how you have used your scriptures again and again and again to proclaim your truth to your people. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would Continue, Lord, to have these things sink into our hearts. And, Lord, that we wouldn't just shove them to the side, Lord, because things get too frantic in our life or we get too busy or, or, or we get overwhelmed by what other people are doing around us and the pressure is just too great or whatever it might be. Please, Lord, help us to do what is needed. We're in this wrestling match, but you've given us this advantage, Lord. The armor that belongs to you, you have given to us. May we put it on every day. May we be ready for battle in advance. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would continue, Lord, to strengthen your church and your people, Lord. Every person here, Lord, every person that couldn't be here today, those that are watching online, Lord, we pray, God, that this church comprised of individuals, Lord, would be individually strong in you. Lord, that no one would have to have their hand held and led, Lord, but that they would decide to follow you with all of their hearts and with all of their lives. And Lord, we thank you for what you've done here today. And Lord, we pray, God, for a great, great outpouring of your spirit. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen and amen.